We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, we're going to be reading from verse 16. Let's stand. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Things are getting strange. Would you agree that we are living in strange times? Am I right? We have men competing in women's sports. We have drag queens reading hour for children. We have everything going on with the LGBT plus community. We have schools promoting sexual promiscuity. We have everything going on still with the war in the Ukraine. We have asylum seekers coming to the country, staying in four-star hotels with iPhones and pocket money. The banks are trying to get rid of literal money. And the world is going crazy for plant-based burgers. We are living in a weird, wacky, woke world. Good morning, church. It's a world where people call evil good and good evil. And it's a world where everyone must have an opinion on everything. But it must be the right opinion. Is that correct? And you can't opt out of having an opinion because silence is violence, you see. But if you give an opinion which is not the right opinion, you get cancelled. Welcome to the world. However, church, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you are already cancelled. Amen? Praise God for that. Now, as Christians, we are warned about deception in the Bible. Is that true? We're warned about fear. The Bible says, fear not, be courageous. Fear is not the absence. Uh, we can't be without fear, but courage is the thing that overcomes fear. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 says this, Be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, before, because the Lord goes before you. Amen? That's why we're not to be afraid and we're not to be terrified because of them. Now, the one way we can combat all the weirdness, the wackiness and wokeness which is going on in the world is to be strong in the faith. And I want to look at this morning for us to check our attitude on three things. Just three. Okay, so it should take 10 minutes. Okay, the first is the word of God. What's our attitude toward the word of God? Uh, number two, What's our attitude toward the church? And number three, what's our attitude towards the apostasy? Now, today's message is entitled, Underline This. So I want you to underline this in your Bibles when we come across a passage. Today, simply a reminder, because as you know, the children of God... Throughout the ages, the people of God have a tendency to forget things. We're prone to forgetting. Is, is that true? So we need to underline these things in our 
Bibles. So as you're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're just going to read those verses once again. Verse 16, it says this. Uh, By the way, if I haven't offended somebody yet, uh, by the end of the message, someone will be offended. Okay, it's just one of those things about being a Christian. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, because we have works that the Lord wants us to walk in. Now, the first thing to get in our minds about this is that the Word of God is inspired. Literally means God-breathed, okay? That's what the Greek word means. God-breathed it. It didn't come by the will of man. Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Make it 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter's dealing with the prophetic word. The whole of the Bible is prophetic. That's all of it, okay? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 is right in there. And he says, For prophecy, meaning the word of God, never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved, by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Word of God did not come by the will of man. It wasn't man's initiative. The Holy Spirit, write this down, was the agent, and the man is simply the instrument. It all begins with God. It comes from God, comes down to man. The Holy Spirit is the agent. The man is the instrument to write it down. Peter says earlier on in this passage, he says, we did not make up clever stories regarding Jesus. We didn't make up clever stories about his coming. We didn't make up clever stories about the power of Jesus. But it came by the word of God. The spirit of God were moved upon men and they spoke. Okay? This is what happened. You've got to bear in mind we did with first century Jews that have turned away from Judaism and to Christ. They died for what they believed. They were not going to put their lives on the line for what they believed was simply fables and nice stories. I wonder how many in the Christian realm today, if they knew they were going to die in an instant for what they believed, if they would renounce it or not. While the early believers in Jesus, while they were a problem for the Roman church, meaning the empire. The Romans didn't really know how to deal with these Christians because they're like, if you don't renounce Jesus, we're going to chop your head off. And they're like, okay, let's go for it. Pliny the Younger wrote about this. He was a, a writer for the Roman ancient magistrate. And he said, we didn't know what to do with these Christians. We said, we're going to ask you three times if you don't renounce Jesus. We're going to chop your head off. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. Chop head off. Brilliant. This, this is called conviction that Christ is exactly who he said he is. That's a challenge to us today. We're not talking getting cancelled 
on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or those other things. Their necks were on the line and they said, chop it off. Okay? Now, you could say, well, Peter's talking about the Old Testament. It's dealing with the Messiah coming and everything else. However, Luke, the writer of Luke and, of course, the book of Acts, said that he had perfect understanding of all things from above. The Greek word is anothen. From the Holy Spirit, he had perfect understanding of all things and he wrote them down. Because the point of attack these days, as it has been for years, is the word of God. Is that true? When you try and share the gospel with your friends or family members or just anyone, the general thing is, the Bible's been changed and I read it in a book. My question is always this, which book? Why do you believe that book? And who was the author of that book? How did that author live? How did that author die? Read some of these books, find out how these men died. They normally died miserable old gits, okay? They didn't die happy. They didn't have the answers. They're just saying no one else has got the answers either, right? Read about Nietzsche and everyone else. They die miserable. But they never read up about their lives. The Bible is a book that's been tested. It's a Bible's been a book that's been debated and not found wanting. Amen? Turn with me, please, to Psalm 12. That's what I was reading this week. Psalm 12, verse 6. David writes this. He says, The words of the Lord are pure words. They're like silver tried in the furnace of earth. Purified, how many times? seven times it's been tried it's been tested it's been debated it's been proven exactly correct the man will continue to argue it now let, let me just say this as we're testing all things and underlining all things to build up our faith this is your hill to die on never compromise on the word of god god said it God meant it, and now I'm saying underline that in your Bible because this is your authority, this is what God has said, and this is what will be. Amen? God's word does not change. Man has loved it. Man has cherished it. And they've died that you may have it in your hands. Read it, fall in love with it, and know it. Now, King David has said that this word has been purified seven times. This is a number in the Bible which speaks of spiritual perfection and completeness. That's what it means. So you have to hold on to the word of God with both hands. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said this, the reason why we have these scriptures is that the man of God may be complete. This is a way to complete yourself by knowing the words completely. Amen? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? That's hashtag one, hashtag two. Can we have that up on the screen? Turn, please, in your Bibles to Hebrews 
chapter 25. That was the word of God. Now here comes the church. Now up here is a slightly different translation. We've got it in the NLT here. Okay. Oops, good catch. The writer of Hebrews is saying this. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, I know this in my mind every time I read this verse or anyone quotes it, I know this as the lockdown verse. Everyone remember that? Andy, how many times did we read that? How many times did we send it out? Do not neglect the gathering of the saints together. And it always reminds me, unfortunately every time I read it, of online church, okay, which was a filthy habit during lockdown. Online church, or worse than online church, was pajama church. I used to have people text me, hi James, won't be there, we are doing pajama church. And they thought this was a wonderful thing. Watching it in their pajamas with a coffee. What a dirty habit. Now, this neglect, okay, is neglecting meeting together in person. What people tend to do is say, well, I won't be there, but I'll be there in spirit. And they quote the Apostle Paul. Okay? God wants us to meet in person. Amen? It's absolutely paramount. Because I feel, for many, that the church... These days, it's become a very casual thing, by and large. It's become a very casual thing, and for, for many, it's become a drop-in center, you know? I think I'll drop into church, kind of when I want, however I want. Um, you may not, I may not see somebody for a week, or two weeks, or a month, or three months, and then they walk in the door, hey, Pastor James, good morning, as if I'm going to give them a hero's welcome for coming to church. There's re- it's gone very quiet. There's reasons for not coming to church. I get it. But generally, if you're treating this as a casual thing, I would say that's your attitude towards God. If your attitude towards the church is very casual, I would say that's your attitude towards God. Very casual. Because we are as it is in Scripture, called the body of the body of Christ. And the Lord wants us to meet together. Now, there's a great opposition to this, okay? I've heard this one so often. We are the church, okay? Um, the church is the people, not the steeple. Anyone heard that? Church is the people, not the steeple, okay? And I've heard over the years... Uh, especially over the last, especially since I've been a pastor, is, well, we don't want to go to church because we are the church. We prefer home groups. Uh, we're going to start a home group in our house or someone else's house because we want to be like the early church. I hear this so often. We want to be like the early church, going from house to ha- house, breaking bread like the early church, okay? It seldom happens, okay? I speak to them months later, have you done the home church? No. Are you going to a home church? No. Okay, I see this quite simply, and it's not just me. I speak to many other pastors of people trying to escape accountability and authority. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do. 
But the Bible's already stated it. Get a church. Go to church. Meet with God's people. And someone said to me the other day, um, they thought they were going to be with me for five minutes, but they said this, and it lasted a bit longer. They said, well, I go to church just to sort of top up spiritually. I was like, well, come again? They said, well, I, I go to church, you know, to, for self-improvement and just to top up spiritually. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, why, why do you go to church? I said, well, I don't go to church because I'm a pastor. I go to church because I was a complete and utter scumbag and God saved me by his grace and I go to worship him because he's the creator. I go to worship him for he died for me. I go to worship him because he loved me. I go to worship him because he gave his life for me. That's why I go to worship. Amen? That's why we go to church. Not to top up. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Okay, that's what church is all about. It's not about your feelings. It's not about your emotions. It's not about what you can get or even your sob stories that you bring to church. We come to church to worship God because you're very, very small and he's very, very, and he's the creator and you're not. Amen? If we get that, I think we will be doing all right. Now, the problem is whether someone's saved or unsaved, or someone's been baptized or not, is we are still people. Amen? We're still human, and we're not perfect. And we are notoriously rebellious and stubborn. As the Old Testament says to the Jews, you are stiff-necked, People. You see, the reason why you have a stiff neck and God says bow down is because that you bring both your ears down and you humble yourself before a holy God. So because of our stubbornness, we kind of treat God with an attitude, well, I'll go to church if I want. And you, Pastor James, will not be telling me what to do. What authority do you have anyway? My answer is always the same, none. I have the word of God. That's my authority that's your authority, and there's no higher or greater authority. Amen? But we're a stubborn people. So turn with me to 1 Samuel, please. First, uh, chapter 15. 1 Samuel, chapter 15. Now, the first part of the verse you'll know very well, okay? The second part, I'm going to read it from a different translation. I've checked the Hebrew. It's very, very clear. Rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. And stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols. Let me just read that again. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness... As bad as worshipping idols. Now, who would be the idol of I don't want to? Who's the idol there? Okay, it's you, okay? It's very, very simple, okay? Stop being a rebel 
and start being a child of God. Stop coming up with excuses of not gathering with the saints and start being a child of God by obeying God and his word. Okay? Now, there's reasons why some people don't come to church. Health reasons, whatever it is. Tiredness is not one of them. Okay? I work late nights. I used to get home sometimes three in the morning, crash on the floor, and then get to church and listen to Joey Rosek if I was lucky for an hour. And then have the privilege of going around his house afterwards. Tiredness is not an excuse. It's a rubbish excuse. It's poor, isn't it? Because I imagine everyone will be at work Monday at nine o'clock. Is that right? I remember being in, in India. And I was in a church, a William Carey Baptist church in Calcutta. And there's a guy from Canada was preaching about church lateness as the Indians were walking in. Okay? Well, as they were coming in, he was preaching about lateness. As they were coming in late, they, they did this. See what, see what they're doing. Instinctively, you want to humble themselves because they know if you make yourself look smaller, I don't know why the people do it, make themselves look smaller, um, then, then God's going to forgive them. No, stand tall and turn up on time. Amen? Amen? Look, it's, this, I'm here doing the thing, but you should be here doing the thing as well. The thing is worshipping God. That's it, okay? God saved you. God gave his life for you. God died for you. And he says, go to church on a Sunday. Is that really a big deal? I met a lady once, and she said, I give a quarter of my Sunday to God. I thought, wow. I don't know if she wanted a free dessert. She was a customer in the restaurant. Jesus gave his life, you give him a quarter of your Sunday. Wow, I thought when you become a Christian, you give your life to Jesus. I thought that's what it said there. I've been crucified with Christ. No, is that what it says? Mm, Come on, saints. Let's stop being rebels and start being children of the living God. There is a resistance, you see, coming together. There is a resistance that could be tied to us. And there's also a spiritual resistance, okay? Now, over the years, I've been called and said, well, I've had a bad week, or I've done this and I've done that, and I need to speak with you. And people, very urgent, I need to speak to you, I need to speak to you now about this and that. And I always say the same thing, come to church on Sunday. Come to church. Yeah, but you don't realize what I've done. God does come to church. But you don't realize what I've done, Pastor James. I don't forgive you, but God does. Come to church on Sunday. And after church, <clears throat> they've spent the time worshiping God. I go up to them and say, how are you doing? Oh, fine. Oh, amazing. I thought you wanted to speak to me. No, God's got it, James. James, you need to have faith. I don't need you. It's a brilliant. It's half the ministry done. Thank God for that. So come, worship God, and come together. Because I'm sure you've had days, like I have, um, when you've gone to church and you don't really want to, but afterwards you're like, wow, if I didn't go, I'd have missed out on that. You know what I mean? If I didn't go to church, I wouldn't see Andy drop his guitar like he did the previous week. Everyone chip in, buy him a new guitar strap, please. Because, look, we miss things, and consider it like this. You are to be a blessing to everybody else in the church. Your presence being here, you may say a word to somebody, 
really encourage them. You may not think much to what you've said to somebody, but you don't know. I've had people come to me, guess what so-and-so said to me? That's so amazing. So, okay, I didn't think it was particularly amazing, but to them it was. So we are here to give as well as to receive. Amen? That fair? This is what Pliny the Younger, this magistrate of ancient Rome, said about the Christian practice. He was a magistrate in the first century. He said this, The Christians met on a certain day before light. <clears throat> That's before 10 in the morning. Where they gathered and sung hymns to Christ as to a God. Is that amazing? You know what to do with these Christians? Okay, I would say this. Commit to a body to say, I'm going to be there. Have a holy stubbornness about you. Okay, I don't know if that's an oxymoron. Have a holy stubbornness. Say, no matter what, I'm going to be there. Every week I'm going to be there to encourage people to worship Jesus for he is my saviour. Amen? And listen, don't attend the nearest church to your home, but attend the nearest church to the Bible. Get it? Don't attend the nearest church to your home. Attend the nearest church to your Bible. Because the writer of Hebrews says, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Get in a Bible-believing church. If you're not, leave, find one. Amen? Hashtag three, the apostasy, please, Chuck. Second Thessalonians, please. Chapter two. Turn there. James was there the other week. Okay. Hashtag three, the apostasy. Okay. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 3. Now pay attention to this. We're going to get a little bit more um, in studying this. Now, Paul writes, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, this falling away, this word apostasy is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here and in Acts chapter 21, verse 21, where Paul is taught uh, contrary, according to them, to the law of Moses and is accused of apostasy. He was accused of saying to the Jews and getting them to turn their backs on the law of Moses. Okay, And he was accused of apostasy. Now, I want to make a very clear distinction, and it's subtle, okay? Write the word distinction down, okay? It's very, very subtle. There's a distinction between apostasy and heresy. Here's the distinction. Apostasy is the total rejection of Christianity by a one-time believer, and they publicly reject it, okay? This is becoming a fad online right now, okay? I think people with an A for apostasy, okay? This is a come fad. That's apostasy. Now, heresy is the ejection, not the rejection. Heresy is the ejection of one or more Christian doctrines by someone who's still claiming to be a believer. I want to say that again. Apostasy is the total rejection of Christianity by one time believer. Heresy is the ejection of one or more Christian doctrine by someone.
claiming to be a believer. However, this being said, the distinction of apostasy and heresy, socialism always ends up in communism, okay? according to Lenin, okay? the man himself. That's Lenin, not John Lennon. Lenin, okay? And heresy, over time, will always end up in apostasy, by and large. Okay? As socialism ends up in communism, heresy in apostasy. Now turn with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We look at verse 14. And this is Paul writing, uh, of course, to Timothy. And he's talking about the fall, okay? The fall of man. You read about that, can't you? So, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Now, the word is deceive or the word is deception. I'll, I'll read it in the New King James and I'm going to read it in the James Version, okay? Verse 14, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Okay? You've got it in your Bibles. Now, there's two different words for deceive, okay? So I'm going to read the James Version. I've checked it very well in Greek. Paul says, let no one seduce you into error with empty words. Okay? Let no one seduce you into error with empty words. I'm sorry, I'm going to go back up. That's a different verse. Ignore that. This is the James Version. Adam was not seduced, but the woman was thoroughly deceived. Let me read that again. 1 Timothy 2.14. Adam was not seduced, but the woman was thoroughly deceived. Okay? Now go to Ephesians 5.6. Bear with me. Hang in there. Okay? Because there's something in this word, this Greek word, about seduction. Deception, seduction. Okay? Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 6, Let no one seduce you into error with empty words. You see, Adam wasn't seduced, but he did get deceived. Eve was seduced. And Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, let nobody seduce you with empty words. Now, what we're dealing with here is a seducing spirit. That's a demonic spirit that seduces the church, okay? And this is the, this is the seducing spirit of our day and age. Write it down. It's a demon, and it's called tolerance. Write it down. Tolerance. It goes something like this. God loves you. No matter what you are, no matter what you do, God loves you. No matter what you've done or how you are, God loves you. That's all it is. And we're going to tolerate you, you see? Whatever it is, you're tolerated in this church, okay? And to worldly ears, this sounds very attractive, yeah? We are going to affirm you. Consider that. We are going to affirm you in what you believe. This is called a tolerant spirit. It's seducive, seductive, and demonic, okay? Now, this is something I heard this week. It's fantastic. The counterfeit of repenting of sin is the tolerance of sin. So there's always a spiritual counterfeit. 
to what God does. There's the Holy Spirit and there's a false spirit, okay? There's a demonic spirit. The counterfeit of repenting of sin is the tolerance of sin. We're going to put up with it. You don't need to repent of it, okay? So what's happening here? What's going on in our day and age in the church? We're dealing with the church here because we're dealing with apostasy. Turn with me to Jude, please. Verse 4, if we can have that up there. Nice one, chum. And Jude is warning about false teachers, okay? Warning about false teachers. So we go way back to the first century, okay? It's always been there, okay? It's, this is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just the outworking. In a sense, God's prophetic word has gone into effect, that's what's happening in our day and age, okay? It's inevitable. There's no surprises. There's no alarm bells. There's no emergency in heaven. God knows exactly what's going on, okay? Now, Jude 4 says this, and he's warning them. And the reason why he's warning them is, if you look up on the board, you can underline this in your Bible. He says, I'm reading from the NLT, I think it is. Yeah. I say this because some ungodly people have worms their way into your churches. Let's read that carefully. Ungodly people, consider a worm, never really nice, is it? Have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. See, Paul says the complete opposite. Why? Because the Apostle Paul has the Holy Spirit. Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. That's the Holy Spirit. The demonic spirit says, by God's grace, you can live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And let me say, immoral lives is always sexual, always ends up in sex, okay? Sexual immorality. There's one thing in the world, I was sexually immoral in the world, okay? Why was I sexual? Fornication, okay? That, that's what it was. That's having sex outside of marriage is called fornication. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, before you look at homosexuality and sodomy and effeminites and all of that, Look up fornication and ask yourself, was I doing that before I start accusing somebody else? It's a long list and it's not very attractive for list and you don't necessarily want to hang out with those people, okay? But it's in there and you might find yourself in there, okay? I certainly found myself in there, but God got me out. Praise God. There's a seducing spirit and it's called tolerance, okay? And it's in the church and it needs to be called out. We need some Elijahs in the church, not pansies, not Nancys in the church who are speaking biblical truth from the pulpit and not tolerating the tolerance, seducing, demonic spirit of the age. Because these teachers have wormed their way into church and they're smooth talkers, very smooth talkers. Well, the Hebrew kind of meant like this is slivery, like little snakes. 
Well, the Hebrew in the Greek word can be translated like this, and we translate it like this now. And well, we could look at it like this. No, is the answer. No, 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 no. Because when it comes to the Word of God, there's no room for private interpretation, says Peter. The Word of God is interpreted by the church, and the church had it right. There's nothing new under the sun. In this church, we preach nothing new. Okay? It's all old. It's from an old book, but it's a living word. Amen? But there's nothing new. There's no new revelation. We're sticking to the old paths where the good way is. There, we will find rest for our souls. Amen? This is called truth, and there's falsehood. There's nothing new going to be taught here, okay? including sexual immorality. The danger is this. There's one thing in the world. Okay, well, we know what's going on in the world. We can't get out until Christ comes. And hopefully it'll be soon. Okay? Now, but in the church, this is the problem. Okay? And the danger is this. And it's horrific. That people who are in the pews feel that they are safe. This is the danger. People go into church So when my priest, my minister says, this is okay, and they feel safe, but they're not, and they're going with their pastors to hell. Christ come that we won't go to hell. Okay? This is the reality. The pastors and the priests are leading people. They're blind leaders of the blind, and they're all going to fall off a terribly deep cliff. People say, well, I I was born this way. Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, we've moved on. The word of God remains the same forever. Ah, but but James, you don't realize that these pastors, you see, that I've met, have encountered Jesus like you. So did Judas. How long have we got? Don't know. Are you ready? When's Jesus coming? Could Jesus come tomorrow? Are you prepared for that? Am I prepared for that? I want to take note of this. Turn to Luke 21. Read one verse. I want us to consider this. Luke 21, verse 24, this is what Jesus says. Now consider this historically. I was speaking with a visitor this morning called Chris. Bless you, Chris. He's speaking about Israel, okay? Israel wasn't there for a very long time, okay? But now it is there, okay? Jesus says this, Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to and end. Israel became a state in 1948. Jerusalem got unified for the first time in 1967. So we're nearer than yesterday to the return of Christ. Is that fair enough? Are we ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Ready to put your neck on the line? 
Well, I'm talking about your neck, not your Twitter account, your Facebook account, your Instagram account, and somebody who's joined you to WhatsApp even though you never asked them. Those accounts. Are you ready? This is what it is. These verses that we've looked at need to be underlined, need to be pointed out, and they need to be pondered in a day and age that we're living in. Because the day and age is weird, it's wacky, it's woke, and it's getting worse. Amen? That's the reality of this. So can we put up the last slide? What do we do all about this? First thing is this. Don't toe the line, but draw a line in the sand. This is your hill to die on. This is the word of God. This is what I believe. If you want me to be tolerant, tolerate me, is what I would say. If you love the truth, stick with Jesus. If you love Jesus, speak the truth, okay? Listen, love God first and then your neighbor. This is the order, okay? This is the divine order. You love God first and then your neighbor. Love God, love his word, love the church, love the truth, stand firm. This is our challenge. Jesus says, behold, I come quickly, means he's going to suddenly come, and my reward is with me, and I give everyone according to his works. I want to hear, and I'm sure you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Is this true? This is what we want to hear at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Let's stand as we pray. I mean, David, if I ask you to come up. And Lord, we thank you for this underlining message. May it be underlined not just in our Bibles, but in our hearts, Lord. And may we check, Lord, our attitude to your word, for your word is holy. Your word is never changing. Your word is like silver tried in the furnace of...